episode 104, Mark Miller. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Now you must know that this show exists to inspire leaders with new energy and ideas to impact employees engagement at work. Well, there are a few brands that stand out for doing this exceptionally well and across the board. And I think we could almost unanimously agree on this one, Chick-fil-A. I mean, I have never had a Chick-fil-A experience outside of awesome. The people smile, the employees bring care in every interaction. And I mean, if they're smiling and caring and showing up, enjoying their job, no matter where you go, every city, every location, it's just incredible. It's because the leadership does the same for them. They care about them and they treat them well and the engagement just glows. Well, today we've got Mark Miller with us and he has been an integral part of the ridiculously awesome leadership and culture that has scaled throughout the massive Chick-fil-A organization. Mark Miller is the Vice President of High Performance Leadership at Chick-fil-A. He's also a best-selling author of nine books, including his newest release, Win Every Day, which is what we're going to talk about today. And this helps organizations excel at execution. For over two decades, he and his team at Chick-fil-A have researched and studied what drives organizational performance and develops leaders. Now, Mark shares the principles and the practices and the tools that he's discovered to equip leaders around the world. Um, And we're going to dive into some of those today based on this new book, Win Every Day. It's awesome. I just got done reading it myself. So let's dive in with Mark. I'm here with Mark Miller to talk about a playbook to equipping people to win every day based on his new book. I just got done reading it. It's awesome. So I'm super excited about this conversation today. Welcome, Mark. I know you're ready to inspire our leader listener audience. That's your jam. So let's start with mindset first as we step into the book and really uncover some things here. You talk about the importance of making the decision to be great. And it's really the first step in setting ourselves up to win. So in your book, as it gets started, you reference, you know, organizations that make the decision to be great. I want you to start by elaborating on that. Well, Nikki, let me be even more specific. It's a leadership decision and fundamentally a senior leadership decision. No organization nor any team drifts to greatness. It's born of a strategic decision. And that's part of what we've learned as we've studied high performance organizations around the world. Uh, there is a mindset, but the mindset is the byproduct of a decision. And, and that's, that's really where this journey has to begin. And Mark, can you think of an example, maybe some teams that you work with and or you've had some experience with where, you know, some of the habits that they do every day or the actions, the way they show up illustrates that they've made that decision. What does that look like? Well, you can you can feel it in the air, but you can you can also hear it. Communication is the oxygen of execution. And we see it. uh, I remember on a recent trip to Clemson's football facility. And I know some of your listeners may not be Clemson fans, but I think you have to give it to them. They're pretty good at execution. 
And it is it is part of their culture. It is part of their vocabulary. It's it's written on the walls. It's written on the treads of the steps when you're going up and down the steps. Uh, these sayings and reminders and values and principles, their their entire facility is a billboard, a living uh, billboard for execution. And you don't have to talk to their coaches, but maybe 30, 45 seconds, and they're going to talk to you about execution. So I think it becomes part of the culture in part because the leaders have made a decision. And then one way they activate that decision is through tireless communication. Great. Thank you for sharing that. That's a great example of alive values. You know, you can see a, a culture living when people just embrace it that quickly. So thank you for that. Let's talk about, you know, you have a book that has this title and then you also talk about this concept in the new book, Win Every Day. And it's actually something I say a lot. Let's play chess versus checkers. And so we're going to elaborate more on what you mean by that chess versus checkers moves. So high performance organizations make specific chess moves to execute with excellence. Can you give us like the high level of this concept and and kind of walk us into what we're going to talk about today? Many leaders began their career playing a game that looked a lot more like checkers. Uh, Frenetic pace, simple moves, not a tremendous amount of forethought. And you might argue at a certain scope, scale, and level of complexity, you can get by with that. But in most jobs in most organizations, the world demands more today. It demands a more strategic approach to leadership, more thoughtful. You know, what what are the moves that we need to make today, tomorrow, and what are the moves that we anticipate making beyond that? It's just a much more strategic way to approach organizational leadership. And we we didn't make this up. We we started about Ten, just over 10 years ago, trying to figure out what did the world's best organizations have in common. And we embraced a phrase that has been in the leadership literature for years, and that is a high-performance organization. But after about almost five years of, of research, testing, you know, validation, empirical analysis, we actually said that the best organizations make four moves. And the reason it's relevant is because these moves are actually the blueprint to create an organization that can excel at execution, aka win every day. And so for the benefit of your listeners, I'd like to just give you a quick flyby. Now, I won't tie them. There is a chess metaphor for each one. If you want the chess metaphor, you can go read the book, but let me give you the essence of the idea. Four moves. The first, and this is foundational, all high-performance organizations bet on leadership. We have not found a high-performance organization in the world that does not that is not well-led. And again, there's a lot in that, but that may come as a, a blinding flash of the obvious to your listeners. But it's so interesting how few organizations actually create a leadership culture, which is another topic for another day. But these organizations that really excel over the long haul and outperform everyone in their industry consistently year after year and decade after decade are those that begin by betting on leadership. The second move is they act as one. 
And this is about alignment. This is about getting everybody in the organization unified around those things that are most critical and most important. Now, I will say that varies from organization to organization, but the energy that's released in alignment has more to do with alignment than are you aligned around the vision or you're aligned around the values? Are you aligned around the mission? And I would even argue the best organizations get alignment on several of those critical elements, but they, they act as one. They're together. They're not working as independent players. Uh, there's really strength in unity. So that's the second move. The third move is high performance organizations win the heart. And this is really about engagement. And engagement has been popular for, I don't know, maybe 15 years since my buddy Marcus Buckingham began to talk about it. But it is still ironic how few organizations win the hearts of their people. If you look at Gallup's annual uh, study of engagement levels in the American workforce currently, and and it has been hovering around 70 percent disengaged. Just let that sink in for a second. Is it any wonder that so few organizations excel? Seven out of 10 people really don't care. And that's the way we've tried to to simplify engagement, to make it approachable. It's really a reflection of how much people care. And if you win the heart, they'll care a lot more. And so these first three moves, bet on leadership, act as one, and win the heart are prerequisites for the fourth move. All high-performance organizations excel at execution. The way we say it is greatness hinges on execution. And if people aren't well-led, and if they aren't aligned, and if they don't care, you're never going to excel at execution. Now, just a quick word, and I'll, I'll we'll move to your next question, but I think this matters. I have met leaders who have told me to my face all they care about is execution. Well, I love the spirit of that. I mean, leaders love to get things done. I love to get things done. Leaders love progress. Leaders love accomplishment. But I I have said repeatedly over the last decade, that would be like the gymnast that says, I just want to do the dismount. Well, where do you get the height, the energy, and the momentum to stick the landing? It's in the routine that precedes the dismount. Leadership, alignment, and engagement It's where you get the height, the energy, and the momentum to stick the landing and excel at execution. So those are the four moves of a high-performance organization. The book we're talking about specifically today is our attempt to do a deep dive on excel at execution. And we spent the last several years, probably three plus, studying now not just great organizations, but zeroing in on those organizations that consistently outperform others at tremendously high levels. And we've tried to distill those lessons into win every day. Okay, awesome. So we're going to hone in on number four, Excel at Execution, which ties directly into the the new book, Win Every Day. And we're going to break down really the key concepts underneath that and have a conversation around those. Talk to us about how you coined the term for the Excelling at Execution. How'd you land on Win Every Day? Share just a little bit more about that concept, and then we'll break down the key components. Well, it was a a, a revelation, and I I don't want to overplay this because we probably should have figured this out early. We began this conversation talking about the fact that leaders have to decide, but the the revelation was leaders cannot 
excel at execution without their people. Because leaders don't actually do the work. They lead the work, they inspire the work, they envision the work, they resource the work, but they don't do the work. And it came from a conversation with the sports psychologist who works with Clemson football. He was on our core research team as we were trying to build, you know, our point of view. And he said, no organization can reach the level that you're aspiring to without every individual committing to the journey. Because you think about, you know, in a football example, they all have to make their block. They all have to run their assignment. The, the receivers have to run their route. The, the linemen have to, you know, block in a certain direction. The quarterback has to do certain things. It's like everyone needs to buy in to this idea. And the way we've said it is the magic is in the masses. So to answer your question, how do we get to win every day? We actually did a study, a pilot actually, with several thousand people. And what we found is the frontline people specifically, Excel at execution was not language that resonated with them. And we began experimenting with different language. And we found that virtually every human being wants to win every day. Now, they may have their own definitions and their own concepts, but it is something that resonates deep within people. Very few people want to be a loser. Most people want to be a winner. And we said, we're going to tell you how to win every day. So it was it was not without a lot of thought and a lot of energy, but it was really in an attempt to make the concept Excel at Execution more approachable and more accessible. And and we have now found that a lot of people are interested in winning every day. And so, Mark, you've got some different um, buckets, you know, of d- different components underneath this win every day. And one of those is pursuing mastery. How do you coach people to embrace and like take ownership in showing up this way? So let me say just a word of context. We basically distilled what we learned over this multi-year journey down to three fundamentals. And these are the behaviors that we want to have everyone on the team, everyone in the organization committing to. And that first fundamental is for individuals to make a personal commitment to pursue mastery. The way we do that, I mean, it's a multifaceted approach. And I would argue we've, we've tested this content in some organizations and the most progressive of them, and I love this as a best practice, they actually have changed their selection criteria because there are some people who are predisposed to something like this and there are people who are not. There are other people who have changed their training and changed their orientation. I think those things are necessary and appropriate. If this is going to become an expectation, I even know of organizations that have put this in the job description. And for men and women that don't want to do that, again, back to the sports analogy, it's just so easy here. If you had uh, someone on the team that said, I know what play that has been called, but I don't want to run that play. I, I know it's supposed to be pass blocking, but I like run blocking better. You know, how long would that person be on the field? Or B, how long would they be on the team? 
And so I think it starts with who you select. I think it's how they're oriented. I think it's how they're trained. I think it's what the expectations are. I think it's how they're coached, how they're encouraged, how they're challenged, how they're held accountable. It's not as easy to say, raise your hand, will you pursue mastery? Now, let me say one more word about that. I think the language actually matters. And we spent a couple of years trying to figure out the right word. And we actually think mastery, even though it's maybe not an everyday word, that it, it is uh, the right word. But we want to be really, really clear that the goal here is to do the right thing the right way every time. But it's not the expectation. And we think there's a huge difference. The expectation, if an expectation is unrealistic or impossible, it will demotivate people. But a goal, particularly a challenging goal, can inspire people. And we, we, this was another, we learned this from some of the football teams we, we worked with. And because we worked with some professional teams, we worked with a lot of businesses. We worked with Navy SEALs. We worked with Mayo Clinic. So businesses, non-businesses, military, healthcare. I mean, we studied organizations around certain de Soleil. I mean, we went far and wide. But one of the ideas, again, from the football world, I don't, I don't want to dwell on it, but it was when we were told and I won't name the program here, but one of the elite programs in America, if anybody made a list of the top 10 elite programs, this this team would be on that list. And they said their coach said he does not expect every player to execute their assignment correctly on every play. He said, because they're human beings. And he tells them that. He said, but I want that to be your goal. And we're going to coach you and help you so that you can meet that goal with increasing frequency. That is a huge difference between here's an expectation and here's a goal. And when you set it up right and do all those other things, you will actually attract people who are inspired and motivated by personal excellence. And those are the kind of people I love to work with. Absolutely. And in our efforts to recruit those who are wired to pursue mastery, you know, what qualities come to mind that we're most looking for or background, you know, things that we can pick up on in those in those interviewing conversations? And then also on the flip side, what qualities come to mind that are maybe red flags or things that are most likely going to work against our efforts to be pursuing mastery or having those people wired that way? Yeah, that is a fascinating question. I'll, I'll give you kind of a top of mind response. Uh, and let me let me just offer why I, I'm not going to say more here. We actually didn't do that work. The reason we didn't do that work is because as in the introduction, you pointed out, I work for Chick-fil-A and all of the restaurants are independently operated. And what that means is that management and leadership decisions are at the sole discretion of that independent operator. And so within the boundaries of our agreement, we can't have those types of conversations with our restaurant operators. And so we did not research that. Now, again, after spending three years working on this, I have a point of view, but I want to be really clear. Some of the things I'm sharing are, are research based and validated. We did not, we did not research that. But my personal opinion, having kind of lived with this content for several years is something that HR people have been telling me my whole life, and I think I finally got it maybe 10 years into my career, is the best predictor of future performance is past performance. And I know that sounds maybe pedestrian or mundane, 
But anybody with fairly adequate IQ, if you ask them a theoretical or hypothetical question, they can infer the right answer. But ask people about examples from their past. Ask people about examples from their life, about goals, about aspirations, about successes, about challenges that they've embraced. And I think it it should become relatively easy to discern if this is a person that's striving. You know, what kind of student were they? Now, I want to be careful on that one. I was a lousy student for any number of reasons. And sometimes people, the best has not been called out of people or people have not been challenged academically. But I think that would be an indicator. Is this a person that wanted to make better grades or didn't care to make better grades? Again, I'd be careful there, but I think that could be an indicator. One of many data points that you might use to uh, get a reaction. And you, last thought, you might even take a very, in addition to all of that, a very frontal approach and say, one of the things that we expect here and we'll ask you is a commitment to pursue mastery. Let me tell you what that means. What do you think about that? We have literally had people walk away from some of our restaurants when the restaurant operator set that as a new expectation. We had people said, that's not what I'm about. And they quit. I think that's fantastic. Great disqualifier. (laughs) So as we move forward here, I want to get into accountability. We talk about that a lot on the show, and I'd love your viewpoint, especially under the win every day model. What is your viewpoint and I guess the set of habits for accountability under the model and and how does that tie into the book win every day? All right. I'll I'll start big and, and try to get very tactical. My belief is that leaders should give people the gift of accountability and that accountability basically needs to be rebranded, that it is not punitive, that accountability is a gift. Accountability is helping people do what they want to do, what they've already committed to do. People want to be successful. They want to add value. They want to be recognized. They want more, generally, more responsibility. They all want more compensation. Well, let me help you. And accountability is one of those tools, right along with training and recognition. Accountability is a gift. So I think it needs to be rebranded. So that's my generic response. As it relates to execution, the second fundamental is own the numbers. Own the numbers. And we debated this, we debated this, we debated this, but what we continued to discuss was the language. It was not the concept. We cannot find a high-performance organization on the planet that does not put a priority on measurement. And we went down that track early, and we said measurement is critical, measurement is essential, and it is one of those uh, enablers of accountability. But we didn't want it to be just about measurement. It's about an individual saying, I will own the numbers. I will take personal responsibility for the outcomes. And then I will do what I can do to impact and have a positive effect on those numbers. So, again, it's it's like Pursue Mastery in that it's a personal decision, but it's a personal decision based on metrics. I'd love for you to share an example of what it looks like to own the numbers well, a leader, a team member, what that looks like when when it's lived out, owning the numbers. Okay, an example of what that looks like lived out. It's when, I mean, again, I've got 
a million of them. I'm trying to think about the most relevant for your audience. It's when a leadership team sits down and looks at their scorecard. And there are some numbers that aren't where they need to be or are not trending in the right direction. It's when that leadership team does not make excuses. They do not place blame. They try to figure out what is the root problem and what are the actions that we can take to begin turning these numbers. I hear so many leaders, I use the example of a leadership team, but I hear a lot of leaders who make excuses and blame people for their numbers. The best leaders say, we've got to own these numbers. Even if they were impacted by circumstances beyond our control, they are our numbers and they are the reflection of the behaviors and they are the outcome of our efforts. So we've got to get on the solution side of this. We cannot move to the blame side. The best leaders rarely blame other people. They accept responsibility and they say, how do we how do we turn this around? How do we solve this? Thank you for that. The third key component to the win everyday model is helping others win, correct? Yes. Okay. And then how do you help people to, I guess, bring that abundance mindset of, you know, shifting from, you know, innately we're born about ourselves. You know, we, we build a muscle to learn how to be selfless and to pour into other people. What is your, your coaching, if you will, to help leaders really equip their people with an abundance mindset of helping others on their team or helping others in the organization to win? Well, I think it has to become the culture of your organization. And I think culture is really the collective habits of the people. And if this is articulated, if this is uh, part of the vision that the leaders share, if the leaders model this, if they'll actually coach for life as opposed to just coaching for work, and then they create the expectation and they recognize and reward people who do actually help others win and know that everyone else has committed the same thing. And it is counterintuitive at many levels, as you referenced. But it has it has turbocharged uh, some organizations that, that I'm aware of because it unleashed, it gave permission to people to do what they wanted to do. So, Mark, I can't resist coming back to number three on your chess moves, which is win the heart. So this show, Gut Plus Science, is all about moving the needle on engagement. And then you threw out the Gallup statistic around the 70% of people aren't engaged in their work. And I think it's even more now, you know, with so many people working in different environments than they ever have been and being disconnected and isolated. It's just a really big challenge. Our main goal here is to equip leaders to care more for their people and really tie the heart into the work that they're doing. And so I just wanted just a real quick touch on, you know, if you were to summarize and just encourage our leaders with how you think about winning the heart or helping them care more for their people, how could you inspire our leaders today with that? Okay. I wrote a book on that called Win the Heart. We did the first ever study that we're aware of in the history of the world on what attracts top talent. We spent six months trying to buy some research from Gallup and Aon, and we talked to Marcus Buckingham. We talked to all the academics, and we could not find it. It had been told that the research had never been done. And so if you want to win the heart, based on our study, there are three things that top talent wants. And we assume that's who you're trying to attract and retain. They actually want a better boss, meaning they want to be well-led. They want a brighter future. They want a place where they can learn and grow, and they want to contribute 
to a bigger vision. And when we as leaders can provide that, it will actually become a talent magnet. So again, there's a book called Talent Magnet. Then there's another book called Win the Heart. I mean, I've written about all of this stuff, but that's all I can do in 60 seconds. Wow. It's so hard to pack everything in a, you know, 30 minute conversation with all that you've done and, and you know, all the books you've written. Um, we're definitely going to add links to Mark's books that we referenced today in the show notes and you can, you know, find ways to connect further and get much more of this information. I feel like we literally packed as much as we can into this. This was awesome, Mark. Now it's our time to do the lightning round. Well, we'll get to learn just a little bit more about Mark. So Mark, a couple questions to put you on the spot to learn more about you. Number one is if you could share your favorite book of all time, or a favorite recent read for our leader listener audience, what would it be? The all-time book might be The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker, a classic written, I guess, fifty over 50 years ago. You would think it's out of date, but they're still using it in college and universities around the country because uh, Drucker identified some of those things that are, in fact, timeless for leaders. So I think that might be a favorite. A favorite recent book is High Performance Habits by Brendan Bruchard. Love that book. So that gives you a classic and, and a current book. And then how about a favorite hobby, Mark, when you're not working? I'm a photographer and have been for about 40 years. What about a favorite vacation spot? Antarctica. And then, uh, Mark, what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you after the show today? I'll give you two things. Uh, one is uh, a website, tmarkmiller.com. And then I'll give you my cell number, 678-612-8441. All right. And here's my truth you can act on today from Mark Miller. Number one, have a personal commitment to pursue mastery. Number two, own the numbers. If we own the numbers, we can hold others accountable. And even more importantly, we can hold ourselves accountable. And number three, help others win, like in ways of encouraging and supporting and celebrating them. Just help others around you to win. Uh, when we win as one, all of us elevate. So such great stuff. Thanks again, Mark. Really enjoyed our time today. We'll see you next time, guys. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.